This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Good morning and welcome to the Michael Reed Show with me, Cahill Dervin, here for today, Friday, the final day of the week. Happy Friday, some people would call it, but not for the workers in Coca-Cola. We'll be looking at that story very shortly. Also, coming up this morning, Minister Helen McEntee on the latest Brexit developments as the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar warns of chaos. Uh, the Taoiseach, of course, currently in Davos. Local election candidate Anthony Moore on crime in Drogheda and a public meeting next week on how best to handle it. And our weekly Oireachtas report from parliamentary correspondent Ken Murray. All that and more to come between now and 11 o'clock. And if you have a comment... 086-1800-658. This morning, as we've already said there, Coca-Cola workers waking up to the reality that of the 200 of them, one in four potentially will lose their job under redundancy packages. 200 workers in total were led to believe there are going to be 50 redundancies. The news was broken to staff yesterday uh, and a comment issued from the company said, Coca-Cola is evolving as a total beverage company and that includes changing the way we work to increase our speed and agility. The statement continues, the company's integrated services organisation provides a broad range of support services globally, including for finance, procurement, human resources and a number of other areas. As we move to provide the next generation of services, we are looking for opportunities to think innovatively. This includes using third-party providers to provide managed services. Joining me in studio to discuss this is Senator Jared Nash, Labour Senator, and on the phone is Deputy Fergus O'Dowd, Fine Gael TD for Loud. If I can start with you, Senator, good morning. Good morning, Colin. A bad day for Coca-Cola in Drogheda and a bad day for the workers. Absolutely. Um, this is devastating news um, for um, the people who work in the shared services uh, section of the company. The company is essentially broken into half in uh, Drogheda. There's over 200 employees. But the integrated services division employs about 100 people, maybe just over 100 people. This and, is back-end um, stuff. Back-end um, back office support for Coke's global operations, not necessarily just the local market or the Irish and British and European market, but the 
global uh, market. Uh, very concerned to have learned of this news yesterday. I spoke to quite a number of um, staff uh, in Coca-Cola yesterday, people I know very, very well indeed, who uh, have who are currently working in very good jobs there, valued jobs, jobs that are important for uh, them, for their families and for our local economy as well. Coca-Cola has a significant footprint here in Drogheda and a significant history. And, and after for many years. Absolutely. And after the closure of the, the devastating closure of the manufacturing plant back in, well, the announcement was made in 2007 and the closure took place between 08 and 09, uh, Coca-Cola internationally committed their long-term future uh, and the future of the shared services division in Drogheda, they assured us that that would remain the case. Uh, but now, as they say, as the business is evolving, uh, they're looking at opportunities to not just outsource, but offshore uh, is the um, phrase that I was u- would use. Uh, offshore, uh, a considerable number of jobs pending this review. Now, my call on Coca-Cola would be to complete this review very, very quickly because there are far too many staff now in Coke who are um, waiting for the sort of Damocles to fall um, this is a very uncertain future for them. It's very insecure and they just don't know what the future will involve for them. And I would also say this, nothing is ever inevitable. Um, I'm calling on the government and IDA to intervene strongly uh, to ensure that uh, they fight tooth and nail to retain uh, every last one of these jobs. These jobs are far too important for Drogheda, an area that um, has not attracted uh, the kind and quantum and you know nature of FDI investment that uh, a town of the scale of Drogheda, uh, I think, is entitled to. You mentioned respect. government, and I'm going to bring in now government uh, TD, Deputy Fergus O'Dowd, Fine Gael TD for now. Good morning to you, Deputy O'Dowd. Good morning. How are you? Sorry, I missed the beginning of your programme. I was at the dentist, uh, but I, I haven't heard the actual number, but I um, understand it may be significant. We're, 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 we're led to believe, Deputy, that it's going to be 50 redundancies from 200 right. staff. Well, that is hugely, we, we that's one in every four. Well, we don't, we don't actually know, because the yeah. company, the statement yesterday was, was very vague. Uh, there was no reference made to the number of redundancies. Sure, and, Colin, uh, yeah. From what Senator Nash is saying to us this morning, nobody even in Coca-Cola working there yet out in Southgate knows exactly the number. What can you, as a member of the government, do now? Well, first of all, reass- I can sorry, agree so just, just let me finish Senator, the question. Sorry, to, oh, reass- me, sorry, to reassure these say. workers, first of all, that you will, as Senator Nash has suggested, fight tooth and nail to keep these jobs in Drogheda. And secondly, if these jobs are to loss, are to be lost, what can you do for those workers? Right. Well, the first thing is that I agree with Senator Nash, and indeed the whole town regrets very much any job loss in any company, and particularly Coca-Cola, which is, as 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 everybody knows, is a hugely important international company, multinational company, and it has a significant investment in Drogheda, and its biggest investment is in the workers, and clearly any redundancies, uh, you know, are very serious for everybody concerned. Clearly, obviously, I've been in touch with the minister about this matter yesterday. I spoke to her and I have reassurances that she will be in contact. Her department has been in contact uh, with the company. She herself was with a European commissioner yesterday as I was speaking to her, so I'd be talking to her again this morning. Uh, The question is that it is absolutely clear that the government will do everything possible, A, to support uh, the people if they are made redundant, and clearly, you know, to talk to the company in any possible way they could facilitate uh, the continuation of any employment uh, that may present 
definitely be lost. But the truth of the matter is, if Coca-Cola has made the decision to review their international operations, that's what the company has done. And it's up to us then, as a government, to, you know, to impress upon them how important the, their investment is in have Ireland, and particularly in Drogheda. Have you had any uh, contact with the company yet, Deputy? I haven't had no... I, the facts are, yesterday afternoon, I got, I got word. I was in contact with the minister. I was in contact with her department. And as, as, as I told you, I really, I, I was otherwise engaged this morning till now. Uh, but I would be very happy to make contact with the company immediately. Uh, th- there's no issue about that at all. Clearly, the minister is a top dog as regards the government uh, concerns, and she has been directly in contact, and her department has been in contact with the company. And I should say as well that... And this, is mi- this is Minister Heather Humphreys. Yes, Minister Heather Humphreys, yes, of course. And I, and I, and I also know uh, Minister Regina Doherty is also concerned, and I know that her department has reaffirmed to me that they will, in fact, make every possible effort to ensure, A, that any arrangements that are made would be fulfilled immediately and urgently by the department, and that is her role in this. Uh, but clearly, you know, the company has made this decision, and obviously, clearly, that's their decision, and we have to make sure that we ameliorate it, and that if people lose their employment, which I agree with uh, Senator Nash, that it is devastating to them and their families. Have you had contact uh, from sure. workers already, Deputy? Uh, I haven't been on my phone uh, since yesterday mm-hmm. afternoon, Michael. I uh, was sorry, Michael. That was my doctor, Carl. I haven't. No, I was in the Dáil yesterday. I spoke to the minister, uh, and I've been. I've, 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 as I said already, it's not an excuse. I've been at the dentist mm-hmm. this morning, so Senator Nash, I haven't had a chance to do anything. You, you referred earlier, and, and you know, 2007, the company announced that the manufacturing business would close. 256 jobs were lost in 2008. There since has been massive investment in Ballina, um twenty something million uh, pounds, I think was the last uh, twenty six million pounds investment in Ballina. For the people, c- can you remember the devastation back in two thousand and eight when those workers lost their jobs? I absolutely can. Uh, these are high value jobs uh, in Drada, um, as you probably know, Colin, in the region in general. Getting a job in Coca Cola was um, something. Um, to um, it was every mother's dream for her son or daughter. Was, uh, ab- absolutely, um, for a generation of workers. I mean, Coca Cola has had a footprint in Drogheda since the 1970s. Uh, highly valued jobs, very good jobs, uh, union jobs as well uh, in the manufacturing plant, uh, and um, it was very, very successful. And the point I'll make about Coca Cola, and this is why. The government can't simply abandon these jobs. You know, this is a global review that's been undertaken. We're very competitive in Ireland. We have a highly uh, sought-after um, cohort of of um, uh, people who you know work in these type of, of jobs. I mean, we've seen the success over the years uh, of IDA in attracting jobs. Um, so remember, this needs to be put in a global context. Uh, all of these operations, I understand it, across the globe are being reviewed. So not just in Ireland. So it really is unco- incumbent on government and IDA to help to make the case um, to Coke to retain these very valuable jobs in the town. These workers can't be abandoned. Remember, you know, we, we hear a lot about the number of jobs that IDA help create every year and you know, I would have had an amount of responsibility over a short period of time for IDA uh, when the economy started to recover, um, you know, posting record number of job increases in last year. Thankfully, there has been another uh, year-on-year record number of job uh, increases in terms of foreign direct investment. But what we don't hear about is, is what we call the churn. There were 7,000 IDA jobs lost last year and I think unfortunately there's a tendency because the economy is going relatively well uh, and jobs are being created to sort of um, almost be a bit fatalistic about um, 
the, the churn about jobs that are lost uh, and where IDA may not work uh, hard enough to retain the jobs that are under threat. And this is so important to draw it because we have a very limited number of foreign direct investment jobs in the town, we'll say compared to Dundalk and other similar sized centres around the country. And that's that's another question. Um, the government focusing on new investment in Drogheda. Uh, we've had a, a, a small pipeline of investments over the last few years, but nothing near what it is I think we should be entitled to given our skill sets here, given the commuting levels as well out of Drogheda every morning for you know high value jobs in Dublin. We've now, got the skill sets here, we've got the right location, uh, we've got the environment, let's bring the jobs to Drogheda. I have to say we did invite Coca-Cola to come on and talk but they declined and, and sent us that statement which I've read out uh, and of course that was issued through a PR company in Dublin. Deputy O'Dell, I would reject. I would reject what Senator. I was just about there. to ask you. Can you respond yeah. to this idea that the IDA, for all the fanfare yeah. about all the jobs that they yeah. produce, I want to respond. We don't. Call we call don't always hear about the jobs that are lost. Carl, we don't. Of course, we don't. And every job lost is a family affected, and it's it's obviously it's hugely upsetting and traumatising for anybody in that situation. But I reject absolutely the comment of, of Senator Nash there who says that the government must not abandon Coca-Cola. That's a rubbish statement and it's a politically charged, uh, unacceptable comment on this morning. The government is not abandoning in anybody, no more than anybody else. We found out about this yesterday, the first time. The minister is personally aware of it and so is Minister Regina Doherty. And they are not running the company, but they support the company as they support all investment in this country. And they're taking every possible step to ensure that A, that whatever jobs can be saved will be, and secondly, that if people do lose their jobs, that they are supported fully in both in immediate payment of payments that they may be due to them, and secondly, that support in retraining if that is necessary. So that is the first point. The second point is, Deputy Nash is wrong again. He's, sorry, Senator Nash is wrong, because the number of people that are unemployed in Loud has actually almost halved uh, in the last number of years. And if you look at Drogheda, it's gone from unemployment of 8,321 in 2012 to 4,800 today. That's a drop of 58%. So that is a fact that the government is putting investment into Drogheda. It is making sure... But that's, that's going to be a little consolation uh, to Michael, the 50 No, 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 hold on. <laughs> I mean, you, you can, we can... I want to make my point... Uh, Senator Nash has made his attack and I want to respond in a constructive way that the government is concerned about Drogheda. Drogheda for the first time is mentioned in a national development plan as a centre for quote uh, job creation and employment growth and for population growth. That is the first time that has ever happened. I don't know if Senator Nash is prepared to acknowledge that but that is a fact. And secondly and more importantly, that the IDA jobs in County Loud, and he ought to know this because, as he said, he was for a time a minister in this area. The fact is that the number of prospective investors that come to County Loud is greater than any of the other counties surrounding. It's in double figures compared to single figures for other counties. So Loud is a very important area for investment. It does have, and it is, and it will be, the growth centre for employment on the Belfast-Dublin corridor. Both Drogheda and Dundalk are the only towns in Leinster, 
uh, just, along this just, corridor. Just to get, just to get back, just so, to get back, deputy, so, to Coca-Cola. Yeah. I mean, Senator yes, Nash. Of course, of course. Sen- uh, Senator Nash, yeah. you know, has spoken to workers. Are, are you are you going to look and, and meet the workers? Are you going to look? And I, sit I down have with no them? issue with that. I think let me deal with that point. I made it exceptionally clear yesterday when I was wrong that I had a dental issue that mm. I had to deal with today, and that is that, that had to be my priority. I made it my priority to speak to the minister yesterday in the Dáil Chamber when I found out. I made it my priority to be in contact regularly all yesterday afternoon with, with her department. And I will make I will make it every effort to meet with both the company and workers today. I've no issue with that, but I've been truthful and honest. It's less than 24 hours since I knew about this. It's actually, it was I think about 4 o'clock yesterday afternoon I first heard of it. Which was at the same so that, time that's a fact. So, the same like, time I mean, most of us learned Senator about it. Nash, Senator I'm, Nash, I'm going to ask Senator Nash to respond to you. But he should acknowledge Please let him. No, no, nobody, nobody. Um, just in response to to, to Fergus, I mean, nobody denies that um, unemployment in the Drogheda area and allowed in general is falling. Um, it would be churlish not to. Um, and some of the policies I helped to put together, for example, the 2015 Regional Action Plan for Jobs, which is still government policy, has helped uh, to do that. And thankfully, that success is uh, continuing. But that success, at least for the Drogheda area, is is relative. Um, there's been significant increase in. IDA uh, visits uh, to the area of foreign direct, potential foreign direct investment. Um, the area literally before 2015, there were very, very uh, few indeed. So nobody's denying that, um, as is happening right across the country, uh, unemployment uh, is falling. But my challenge to the government is this, is to ensure that um, every effort is made to retain those jobs because what we're in here is a global competition for uh, disinvestment. Uh, and it's not um, any kind of you know, personalised attack on anybody in government. It's just a fact of life. We're in a global economic environment. We have that global challenge. This is a global review. So it's up to IDA and government and Coca-Cola to work together to put the case forward to retain those jobs here in Drone. Like Coca-Cola in Ireland have a job to do uh, within their global operation to make the case for Drogheda. And that's where IDA and government support comes in. Do you think, Deputy O'Dowd, the government can in any way do something to save these jobs or, 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 or are we are we past that well no 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 the facts are the facts are, are not clear that's the first point which is disappointing on the company's behalf. No, I, Carl, I think the facts are we let's see what the facts are the first question i asked you was do we know the number of jobs we don't but we know it's a serious threat and we know that the government is aware of that we know that the minister that both uh, the minister for employment and the minister uh, regina doherty are very much aware of this fact since yesterday evening we know that i've certainly spoken to them and obviously, clearly, I will be getting on to the IDA and all the players here. And I, I, I'm glad that Senator Nash acknowledges the fact, uh, you know, th- that the government is doing its best. And it is, and it will, and it must. And, and, if, and, 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 and that's, that's the way it is. And really, at this period in time, we don't want any jobs in security anywhere, because as we all know, Brexit is facing us literally down the tracks in 10 weeks. And the impact that will have on the economy is, is unquantified. Is there, is there a chance, Senator Nash, that Brexit is part of this? I don't believe so. Um, I think this is just a common trend when companies at the scale of Coca-Cola where they um, offshore jobs to lower costs. And is there a danger uh, they could offshore more of these jobs? Well, 200 jobs left, 50 are to go and go. I I really don't want to be alarmist uh, about this because, you know, we're talking here about people's jobs and people's livelihoods. I mean, obviously we all want to try to secure Coca-Cola's future in Drogheda and every effort should be made to do that. It's long-term future for every single job. But I'd say this just in conclusion, Carl. Um, The experience of lots of major 
major international corporations where they have offshore jobs to lower cost economies uh, hasn't always been a positive one. Uh, for example, um, just uh, last late last year, Air, uh, the telecommunications company, uh, had you know, offshored lots of jobs um, and to brought uh, and brought them back, 950 jobs back uh, to Ireland. So I think there's a lesson there mm. uh, for the company to tread very carefully. Um, if they're doing this review, do it very quickly uh, because I think the uh, staff themselves are entitled to some kind of certainty over what their future will hold very, very shortly. And finally, Deputy O'Dowd, as, as the it government representative, the can, can I ask you your, your, your final message to those workers yep, affected? Of course, yeah. Well, the first message is that we're aware of the problem. The Minister is aware of it. And obviously, clearly, what happens, happens. But I'd make sure that the government is fully alert and is involved at all levels in relation to the needs of the workers there. Secondly, uh, that the number of IDA-supported jobs in the county has grown from 1,500. Let, let's take the Coca-Cola. Let's, second, let's take the Coca-Cola. Over 4,000 4, now. So the fact is that Loud has benefited greatly in terms of inward investment, and we will continue to push that case, notwithstanding this significant adverse uh, unemployment situation that we're facing in a local industry. Well, Deputy Fergus O'Dowd from Fine Gael TD for Loud, of course, and Senator Jared Nash, thank you for your time this morning. We'll be back after this. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. And you're welcome back to the Michael Reed Show with me, Cahill Dervin of the Irish Sun. As always, 086 1800 658 086 1800 658, our text number and our WhatsApp number. And Marie will be in with me after 10 o'clock with your comments on the various stories of the day and the week. Now, the Fine Gael Junior Minister Jim Daly recently proposed an Uber style rural taxi service for Ireland to help those living in isolated areas travel to the shops, to mass, and maybe even to the pub. Fianna Fáil's Transport Spokesman and TD for Longford and Westmead supports this proposal and joined us this morning. I first asked Deputy Robert Troy, uh, first of all, his understanding of the difficulties facing rural Ireland coming as he does from a rural rural area of the country and the need for such a taxi plan. Look, I'm a a rural-based TD. I live in a small village myself and I, I know when I see firsthand how the life of rural Ireland has been draining over the last number of years and particularly in the last number of months, there has been um, a genuine fear by people uh, to drive their car at night time in the morning, uh, particularly if we're talking about uh, going to a pub or to socialise. And there's no alternative there. Uh, there's no public buses. There's no public transport. And for the most part, uh, there are no, no hackneys or no taxis in operation. So what I, what I want to see happening is I want to see um, this matter explored in great detail uh, by the Transport Committee. I've written to the Chair of the Transport Committee and the Clerk of the Committee requesting that we bring in uh, Uber, we bring in MyTaxi.ie, we bring in the NTA, uh, the representative body of of the taxi drivers, because what we do need uh, to see happening is we need to see a new flexible um, mode of transport being able to be offered to people uh, in rural Ireland because if we don't do something shortly well then uh, I fear that the amount of people who are going to suffer from uh, loneliness and isolation uh, will explode. And it is a particularly rural issue. I mean we spoke in the programme yesterday about a meeting in Clanalvi next week where their local post office and, and shop has closed down, numbers are falling at their school and, and there is a fear of a, this growing sense of isolation but in terms of an Uber style product I mean at the moment this is only available to licensed taxis and, and there, there's a, a big issue in terms of changing legislation I would imagine in the first instance 
Well, look, that's what we want to explore. We want to explore how could this possibly be done. And in doing so, we have to ensure uh, uh, that the drivers are going to be vetted and that people will have confidence in getting into the cars uh, with the drivers. I'd imagine, given the fact that it's going to be rural-based, uh, that no driver is going to be coming in from outside the community. It'll going to be one of their own, so to speak, from the community providing the service, and therefore there'll be no issue in terms of uh, fear of the driver because they'll know the driver. Um, so that's number one. We need to ensure, um, and my understanding is Uber themselves offers um, insurance to anybody who books through their app. That's something that needs to be teased out further. But what, what is certain is many, many parts of rural Ireland, the length and breadth of this country, are without any service whatsoever. And we need to see that addressed. And I think we need to be bold and courageous in the decisions we take, take to ensure uh, that is direct, that is addressed. And I believe uh, some sort of uh, ride-sharing facilities uh, should be introduced, and that would help. Uh, alleviate the decline uh, in the social life of rural Ireland. Now, just to give you a flavour of this, the Junior Minister, Jim Daly, is proposing that this would allow pick-up within 15 kilometres of the driver's home address, that it would be a mobile phone app similar to Uber, that the population, uh, it would be in areas with less than 5,000 people, and that it would it would help stop this thing where people are walking home at night, perhaps from the pub, and are then subject to the dangers of, of a road traffic accident. Yeah, look at it. I think there's huge potential in, in, in all that you've said there, and that's why I think the best place to tease this out and explore it further is at the Transport Committee. That's why I've requested that we hold a special session, or two if needed, uh, to bring in the relevant stakeholders and to tease out exactly um, how a system could be devised uh, for rural Ireland. And we have to acknowledge, too, that it'll have to be attractive uh, for somebody to do it. And that may need a subsidy or a supplementary payment because uh, people aren't going to do it if there's not an opportunity to make some money on it. Um, so that may need a subsidy. And that's why we need to trash it out at a committee level. Uh, we need to do it speedily uh, and, and it, with the view to um, having a new service introduced uh, within a six to eight months period. Do you think, Deputy, though, that the government will support this in terms of that there are so many pressures on government expenditure at the moment anyway, and, and to introduce subsidies and then to change, in many ways, the fabric of the insurance industry? Because we have spoken to local taxi drivers in Meath and Loud on this subject, and they're of the opinion that they pay a very high premium for insurance on their taxis, and they think that this is rife with danger from an insurance point of view. Well, one thing for sure, and I sympathise with the taxi drivers who are paying huge premiums for their insurance, and that's something that this government has been promising for the last three years they're going to tackle. And the anecdotal evidence is that insurance, instead of falling, continues to increase. And a number of their own proposals uh, in their uh, the, the body that they introduced to, to look at insurance reform has yet to be implemented. So I think what the government needs to be doing is, is, is continuing to work on that, uh, to accelerate the, pra- the pace at which um, the recommendations are being implemented to reduce uh, premiums for taxi drivers and reduce premiums indeed for every motorist. Uh, but what we're, what we're looking at here is areas at the moment where nobody is in operation. Absolutely nobody. That's not going to distort any market. That's not going to be, be any unfair competition because there's nobody operating at the moment. And what I'd like to see happening is uh, that we bring in a service and um, 
to small rural areas where nobody is operating, uh, where it would be attractive for somebody to operate a number of nights a week uh, to help with um, the social aspect of that community. And we do understand that the Junior Minister, Jim Daly, is to meet with the National Transport Authority on February the 6th, and I'm sure you would support that meeting. I myself am meeting the National Transport Authority next Wednesday evening uh, in relation to this matter, so uh, without question I would be supporting. <laughs> Finally, if I could ask you, Deputy Troy, there was a suggestion during the week that in the event of a hard border being introduced that any of us who, who plan to travel to the north and vice versa will have to get a green card for our insurance to prove to the authorities on either side of the border that we are insured and we are covered. You have some proposed uh, communication on this subject. Well, I, I've, one thing for sure is we need certainty and we don't have certainty in terms of uh, what will be needed and when uh, a green card, if needed, will, be need to be in, uh, will, will, will drivers need to have it. Um, so I've requested the Minister for Transport to, to provide clarity on this. Uh, he's yet to do so um, and I've submitted a parliamentary question to try and get uh, clarity in relation to uh, what will be needed and when will it be needed because for any motorist out there who on a regular basis or even infrequently um, goes across the border to Northern Ireland they need certainty in terms of, of what documentation they will need uh, following a breakfast. And that was Deputy Robert Troy Fianna Fáil TD for Longford and Westmeath and spokesperson on transport, tourism and sport. We'll be talking about the homeless crisis after this. Michael Reed on LMFM. This is the Michael Reed Show, and as always, we thank you for listening. If you would like to make a comment, 086 1800 658. Perhaps you have something to say on the Coca Cola, that devastating news this morning that 50 workers face redundancy at Southgate. Now, Raise the Roof is a new national campaign focused on housing, making housing a legal right. It has been launched by the group, which com- represents trade unions, political parties, students' unions, and homeless groups. Join me to discuss the launch of the Raise the Roof campaign and figures announced this morning by the Irish Primary uh, Teachers Headmasters uh, Association is MacDara Doyle, who's spokesperson for the Irish Congress of Trade Unions and the Raise the Roof campaign. Good morning to you, MacDara. Good morning, Carl. No matter how we look at it, MacDara, every day we wake up to new stories, new figures, new reports on homelessness in Ireland, and this situation is not getting any better. Yeah, and unfortunately the, the trend in all, every single one of those reports, barring maybe some more optimistic ones coming from official sources, is that the crisis is getting worse. And every expert and every academic, um, without any access to grind or without any agendas, all attest to the same thing. The crisis is simply getting worse and official policy is not working. I I think it's Einstein's definition of insanity is to keep doing the same thing but expecting a a different outcome every time. Uh, It's not working. The crisis is working. In fact, it's probably probably transformed from a crisis into an actual housing emergency at this stage. There's a danger as well, McDara, that it's it's, it's almost become a normality and a reality at this stage that we've almost accepted that homelessness is now just part of everyday Irish life. well, it's, it, it, there, there's a bigger issue there. I mean, it's, it, it's not just homelessness. There's a housing crisis of which homelessness is just one symptom. I mean, the housing crisis sees, you know, there's tens of thousands of hidden homelessness who can't afford to buy a home, who are couch surfing, who are living with parents, living with friends, who can't afford to, yeah, younger kids who can't uh, move out, can't afford somewhere to rent, and so on and so forth. Um, so it's, it, housing or homelessness is just one symptom of that crisis. It is a wider housing crisis across the whole sector. Um, and the fear is, yes, that over time, um, naturally, people will become kind of acclimatised to this, will become almost accepting of it, will become 
uh, and it will become almost the new normal uh, that high rates of homelessness and, and people's inability to afford a home. I mean, I, I don't think there's many parents or, or grandparents now who would have thought 20 years ago, maybe 30 years ago, that their children would be unable to afford a home. Writing in one of the papers this morning, the Housing Minister, Owen Murphy, says that we are on course to meet our target of 25,000 new bills by 2020, rising to 35,000 in 2021. Yet also this morning, the Irish Primary Principals Network have told us ahead of their annual conference in Dublin next week when they will sit down with the Education Minister, Joe McHugh, but they tell us that 27% of Irish schools now have homeless children in their classrooms. Yeah. Uh, and the students' unions are telling us that their members are having to pay up to €1,000 a month for accommodation across the country. Yeah, and and we have, I mean, as part of our network, as part of the Raise the Roof network, there, that, that involves teachers' unions as well, and, and particularly the primary ones will tell you that this is a huge problem now for teachers having to deal with this in their classrooms on a daily basis, um, dealing with the impact of homeless, dealing with kids who disappear overnight, literally because their family has been evicted, who turn up in a school on a given day, who turn up, you know, having travelled maybe a, a couple of hours to get there because they're housed somewhere across the city in, in emergency accommodation. Um, it's, it's, it's a problem that is, I mean, the, the, I suppose what's different about Raise the Roof is that we represent trade unions are within the umbrella of, of Raise the Roof. There are trade unions, there are housing agencies like Focus Ireland and, and, and Simon and so on and, and Threshold, a whole range of organisations. Uh, there are uh, campaign groups, there are student unions, there are, there are uh, a whole range of organisations because this is manifesting itself in every sector of society. It's not just confined to the margins. It's across every sector of society. It's about people being unable to afford a home. It's about people being evicted. It's about people being in insecure accommodation uh, and are, are having to pay exorbitant rents to find very, very bare and probably inadequate accommodation to live in. And again, a report this morning that uh, Dublin City housing, uh, the the council housing etc that uh, there are instances of where there are seven people living in one bedroom apartments and yet there are instances where there's one person living in a four bedroom house yeah and you, you talked there a couple of minutes ago about this being the new normal I mean five to ten years ago if you said this to people I think they would have been shocked but now we've be, unfortunately the big danger is that we do become kind of almost inured to the whole problem uh, you know reading those statistics day after day and the the, the big danger here is that we see the problem as intractable. It's not intractable. What we found when we developed the Raise the Roof uh, campaign platform was that there was a wide range of organisations out there and experts and housing academics and experts who've studied this problem in great depth um, and who were able to say, actually, no, there are very straightforward solutions to this. And one of the core solutions is that the state needs to get back into building public housing. That's the big missing ex, big missing component in, in, in this. But the minister uh, says this morning that they are on track. Well, look, there's no look. We've we've heard that on a number of occasions over the past couple of years, and I'm not going to personalise this. It's nothing to do with the minister personally. Um, but we've heard that on repeated occasions that we're on track. And you know, we hold a housing conference every year. We held one last year. Um, we have w- one individual who comes along, a guy called Mel Reynolds, an architect who forensically, forensically deconstructs Rebuilding Ireland and the figures they put out and shows you that this is not happening, that this is not true, that the targets have not been met. And we have a similar conference taking place next Wednesday and we're going to do look at, the, look at the, those figures again in the same forensic detail and I can guarantee you it will be revealed very, very quickly that those figures are not being met, are not being capable of being met. 
And ironically, McDara this week saw the 100th centenary of the first doll yeah. and that doll promised that no child would go without food and no child would go without a roof and yet yeah. here we are 100 years later. And, and we had there. our launch yesterday in the oak room of the mansion house uh, deliberately because it, it, to tie in with the centenary of the, of the first doll and the democratic programme which was adopted by that doll. Uh, and the democratic programme promised or committed um, that private property rights should be subordinated or should be, should be less important than the, than the public welfare. So when there's a competition between the two, public good should win out. Uh, that's not, that has not happened, and that's why we're seeing this crisis now. Tell us about Raise the Roof, uh, what, what, what your ideals are and, and how you'll go about them. Well, as I said, we're 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 probably the the first occasion that all this number, this wide range of organisations. I mean, you've got the Congress of Trade Unions, you've got the Union of Students in Ireland, you've got the National Homeless and Housing Coalition, you've got the National Women's Council. A uh, huge range of organisations that wouldn't normally work together on a single issue because you know they wouldn't share one single. But housing has has now dominates has now come to dominate the agenda of all organisations. Um, and what we're saying simply is that there has to be dramatic and radical change on, on housing policy because what's happening is, is simply not working and the evidence is on our streets every morning and in our homes. Um, we organised a demonstration last year outside Leinster House and we, you know, a lunchtime demonstration and we thought we might get a couple of hundred. We got about twelve to 15,000 people. Um, that, mo- that, that rally was called to support uh, a doll motion that was, be put, that was put down that day by opposition parties and that motion laid out a number of very, uh, of very simple five or six points that could be, you know, take measures that could be taken immediately to uh, alleviate the housing crisis. That motion was actually passed, so it now stands. Uh, it's there, and we're calling now for its full implementation. And it called, for example, that there has to be action taken on evictions that people can't be evicted into homelessness. Uh, that there has to be action taken on rent that when people move into a property they have to have some security about the rent they pay. They have to have some security of tenure. I mean, this is this is this is echoing the land war from the from the 1900s. That you, we need to establish a legal right to housing, and there has to be greater state involvement in in provision through local authorities of public housing, as we did here in the 1930s, the 1950s, and the 1970s, times when we had far far less money to spend. Well, finally, McDara, where can people make contact? Well, we'll be having a conference next Wednesday and there will be details published after that. We'll also be having an online petition on uh, supporting the right, for, right to housing and the campaign demands. So if people keep an eye out, uh, we'll, there, there will be more information available very, very soon. And your website is? It's, we're, we're, we're building that at okay, the moment, unfortunately. Okay. Okay. Well, at least something something, site is being, something built is being built. It'll all be unveiled next week at the well, conference. Yeah, something has been built, at least. McDara Doyle, spokesperson for the Irish Congress of Trade Unions on the launch of the Raise the Roof campaign. Thank you for your time. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. And you're welcome back to the Michael Reed Show with me, Cahill Dervin. And as always, just after 10 o'clock, I'm delighted to welcome Marie Cairns to studio. Good morning, Marie. Good morning, Cahill, and to everybody listening in. A couple of uh, people in touch already this morning in relation to the situation at Coca-Cola in Drogheda. A female caller, why can the company not just come out and state how many jobs are going to be lost? I think this is very cruel on workers as they are in limbo at the moment, not knowing what is happening. Another, Sean from Drogheda. Once again, Drogheda let down by the government. I'm surprised the Fergus O'Dowd has not made it his business to speak to workers between yesterday afternoon and this morning. 
We had a phone call from Michael, who's an ex-employee of Coca-Cola and was one of those affected back in 2007. He says, I was one of the unfortunate people let go. And it annoys me to hear Fergus O'Dead on this morning playing the usual political song. He says he remembers back then that uh, people in political circles were quick to blame the unions for the job losses and here we are again. He says if you look at the first redundancies that went through in 2008, 2009 after that 2007 job announcement he says it seems to be almost a 10 year thing it's horrible news to get and it's bringing it it all back to me today. And the big problem for the workers now is going to be the waiting That's it. Another listener says, why is the government constantly pushing for jobs in Dublin? What about the likes of Drogheda, Slane, Navin, all these areas? The government has to stop pushing everyone to Dublin and realise that the rest of the surrounding areas need jobs instead of the constant rat race to Dublin. The IDA needs to support Mead and Loud more. A total disaster for the workers in Drogheda. Very hard news to get, especially with Brexit coming down the line. Everything should be done to save the jobs, says another listener. Such as a flavour of what's in that topic. Coca-Cola. And we have a man in studio now who has his own experience of Coca-Cola going back over the years. And very shortly we're going to talk with Anthony Moore, Fianna Fáil local election candidate, about a meeting on crime in Drogheda next Wednesday night. Good morning to you, Anthony. Good morning, Carl. First of all, your own reaction to the Coca-Cola news. Well, I think it's uh, it's very, very sad news for the workers and their families up there. I mean, it's certainly not a happy new year for them to have this bombshell dropped on, uh, on them from Coca-Cola uh, at this time. And for many, it came out of the blue. I, I think it certainly did, yes. I mean, the first we heard about this was this announcement yesterday um, and a very terse press release um, sent out as well, which I think wasn't really acceptable either from Coca-Cola. You worked there for a summer, I believe. I did, Back yeah. in your, your student days. Um, so you have an empathy for the, those people. These are good people and Drada has been very good to Coca-Cola. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I really enjoyed my time there. It was uh, over a summer, uh, just, uh, you know, when I finished my uh, primary degree. But uh, the people there were really uh, great people. Um, it was a great firm to work with at the time. It was based in the Donor road at the time and that was really the flagship employer in Drogheda at that stage uh, as well as all the kind of administrative jobs you had like the legal department or payroll etc you also had all the plant and the manufacturing going on around it um, and uh, it was a great firm to work for at that time We asked both Senator Nash and Deputy O'Dowd earlier, is there any way do you think this can be stopped, this can be saved? Well, you know, it's difficult to know. Um, I spoke yesterday with uh, Coca-Cola's media representatives. Now, what they told me is that nothing is set in stone at the present time. Uh, this announcement is a global one. It affects all the people working for Coca-Cola around the world in what they call integrated services. Uh, that includes uh, HR, finance, payroll, accounting, etc. Those are the jobs that are up uh, for outsourcing, apparently. And what they told me is that this affects uh, approximately half of the operation based in Drogheda. Now, I said to them, what does that mean in terms of actual job uh, numbers um, at stake? They couldn't give me. And uh, they actually an said half. They said half, yes. Because the figure we were led to believe yesterday was, what, 25% Marie, wasn't it? It was, it was 50, well, well, 50 see, potentially. Nobody knows. That's mm. just, um, people are suggesting that it might be that figure, mm. but, but nothing is, as you say, no definitive number has come from the company and so everybody is kind of operating, I suppose, at the moment on speculation and what they're hearing from people inside the company at the moment. That's right. And we're getting very little in terms of concrete information but what I was told is that they're going to start a review in the next couple of months. They hope to have that review finished at the end of 2019 and only at that stage then will they have a concrete figure um, for Drogheda and for all the other places around the world that are potentially affected by this. I've been through this process. It's it's horrific. I mean, mm. for the families, for, for the children, for everybody involved. So they're going to have to wait till the end of the year. It seems like that, yes. It's not acceptable, is it? No, I don't think so. I mean, you know, as you said there, Drogheda... 
It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Pada has a great connection with Coca-Cola going back over the years. The town has always been very loyal to Coca-Cola. Uh, I think it's time we saw a little bit of that loyalty paid back now. Now, speaking of Drogheda, you've, you've organised a meeting for next Wednesday night in Barlow House, and this will be addressed by your party's justice spokesperson, Jim O'Callaghan. That's right. The purpose of the meeting, please. Well, really, the purpose of the meeting, Cahill, um, is to address the very serious situation we had with crime, that we have with crime in the town at this present time, but in particular that we had with crime in Drogheda in the run-up to uh, last Christmas. Uh, I mean, at that time, I think it's fair to say that the crime situation in Drogheda was like something out of a, uh, an episode of love-hate. Uh, you had pipe bombs in vehicles. It was uh, gang on warfare. The gang warfare on the streets of Drogheda. Petrol bombs been thrown into houses. I was out there over the weekend in an estate where that had actually occurred. And the people in that estate were living in fear. You know, people who lived around that house, they were afraid that this was going to happen again, that, you know, their houses might be targeted by mistake. So we're, what I've done is I've had this meeting, organised this meeting, to give the people of Drogheda, the people in the local community, an opportunity to come on and talk about their experiences of crime and also about their fears of crime. To, you know, to put that to Jim O'Callaghan, to hear what Jim O'Callaghan has to say. Um, but importantly, I suppose, to let their voices be heard on this very important issue. We've seen a victory for the guards this week, Superintendent. Andrew Waters was on with us yesterday, the big drug bust, and there's a court case this morning up in Thurman Fecken on, on Monday. And, you know, Chief Superintendent Christy Mangan is leading this fight against the drug gangs. And, and, and one of the things that Superintendent Waters said yesterday, if people have information in confidence, come forward to Christy Mangan, to himself, to the local guard, People will action will be taken against these people. Yes, I mean the, the reality is uh, this type of activity doesn't happen uh, in the dark. You know there are people in the town who have in, information, who have intelligence. And I was listening yesterday to your interview uh, with Superintendent Waters. I'd like to congratulate him on that fine piece of police work. You know out in Terman Fecken. But you know as he emphasised to you yesterday, it is intelligence led. Um, uh, uh, policing that will eventually crack this type of crime. So anybody who has information ser- should certainly give it to the Guardian and try and end this scourge in the town. What can a meeting like Wednesday nights in Barlow House, what can that achieve? Well, certainly what it can achieve uh, from our point of view in Fianna Fáil is that it can let Jim O'Callaghan know the issues that we have in this town. Drogheda is the largest town in the country and yet it doesn't get the resources that it needs in terms of Gardaí. Uh, it doesn't get properly resourced Gardaí. Um, so what I want uh, to come from this meeting is for Jim to be properly apprised uh, in relation to the situation in Drogheda so that he can go back up to Dáil Éireann and put pressure uh, on the Minister for Justice Charlie Flanagan in relation uh, to this matter. But we have seen a situation yesterday, 600 Gardaí needed in the event of a hard border uh, and a no-deal Brexit. That is going to put pressure on Garda resources. It certainly is. Now, um, the Commissioner, I think, came out and said that the Irish Independent had misreported that. But, you know, whatever the truth of that is, the reality is if there is a no-deal Brexit, it's certainly going to result in Gardaí being deployed uh, from around the country to the border. And that is going to have a huge knock-on effect on Drogheda. Because if you look at Loud, for example, you've over 140 Gardaí based in Dundalk. You've just slightly over 100 based in Drogheda, which I say is the largest town in Ireland, suffering a very serious gangland uh, drug-related uh, problem. Uh, I think we should certainly be on a par with Dundalk and if that means bringing more Gardaí from safer parts of the country uh, and uh, deploying them in Drogheda that needs to be done because that's what's going to make people feel safer that's what's going to put the heat on the criminals And your message to people ahead of Wednesday's meeting? 
Well, I would say to people, um, you know, over the town of Drogheda, over the next coming days, come along to this meeting, tell your friends, tell your families to come along to this meeting, because only by coming to these types of meetings and discussing your experiences of crime, uh, your fears of crime, and making your voice heard in relation to that, will you actually get action in relation to it. We have to put the pressure on the politicians that are running this country, Fine Gael and the independents, and we also have to make sure uh, that the Gardaí have our full support and that pressure is put on the politi- politicians to support the Gardaí so that Drogheda gets its fair share of Garda, uh, Gardaí and Garda resources. And the meeting is 8 o'clock on Wednesday in Barlow House. If people would like more information, I'm sure it's across your Facebook and Absolutely, social media. Absolutely, yes, it's all there. Just get in touch. Anthony, thank you, thank you so much for your time this morning. Anthony Moore there, Fianna Fáil candidate for the local elections, that meeting on Wednesday night in Barlow House in Drada. Marie, there will be interest in that. There sure will. And if I can move on from yes, that uh, for a moment, just because I have a couple of comments to get through, if I can, just on uh, other topics, uh, Deirdre was listening into your interview with Deputy Robert Troy concerning uh, the minister's Minister Daly's proposal on that Uber-style R- taxi, taxi service for, for rural areas. And she would fully support a system like this one. She says that the public transport system in rural Ireland is simply not good enough and people are forced to rely on an unreliable system, as she describes it. She says that she is not, uh, she doesn't drive, so she uses the bus system. And on occasions, she has been left stranded at bus stops because the bus hasn't shown up. There's and not a week com- goes by in Dunshockton that the bus doesn't turn up. Really? Yes. Local link, local link has been extended, though, which is good news. But the and the point she's making, which you're echoing, is that <laughs> commuters <Same bus. laughs> need a service that they can rely on. So that's her thoughts on that. Um, we also had a couple of people in touch in relation to your interview with Sinn Féin's Louise O'Reilly yesterday. yesterday. Uh, Margaret was commenting on the overspend on the National Children's Hospital. And she says it's another big mess with this hu- huge overrun on the costing. And she says... But that's really nothing new here. It's taxpayers' money, not the government's money. And it's very easy to spend. Uh, She says that there really should uh, be a clampdown on how money is spent on projects like like, on projects like this. And then is also, on the other hand, she says that they're talking about the cost of the report to find out how this happened. So there's going to be more money even spent. €450,000, I think, was the fee mentioned yesterday. Another listener, uh, Matt Andrada. I wonder, have Fianna Fáil still got confidence in the Health Minister, Simon Harris? Yet another scandal budget overrun in the new hospital. The strikes coming down the line from the nurses. Oh, will Fianna Fáil just jump up and down like children and leave him at it like they did with Mary Harney when they were in government as well, says Matt. So that's just a couple more. And um, if I get a chance, maybe I'll come in Maybe between on. now and 11 o'clock. 086 658 As always, our text number. We'll be back talking Brexit with the Minister Helen McEntee after this. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. And you're welcome back to the Michael Reed Show with me, Cahill Dervin. I'm joined in studio, I'm delighted to say, by Minister Helen McEntee, Minister of State for European Affairs and, of course, for Brexit as things are going at the moment. And thank you for joining us this morning. Good morning. And thank you for coming into studio. Your Taoiseach Leo Varadkar is in the papers this morning describing uh, the inevitability, it would seem to some people at this stage, of a, of a no-deal Brexit as leading to the potential for chaos. Would you agree? Well, I, I think we've all known at this stage and, and from the very beginning that if we have a no-deal scenario, the, the impact that that would have economically, but otherwise as well, um, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that that's the right 
the direction we're going. Absolutely, we're less than 65 days now till the 29th of March um, and that becomes more likely the longer we go on. However, we have a significant week in the UK ahead. Um, we have a number of votes due to take place next Tuesday. Um, we still don't know what it is that the UK want and what we really hope uh, we will see happen on Tuesday is some clearer direction as to the way that they want to go. Did you see any sign of a plan B from Theresa May last Monday? I, I don't think there was very much different said, um, if that makes sense, on, on uh, Monday and her speech following on from the vote. Um, you know, I said to Michael the last time I spoke to him, we probably didn't expect the vote to lose by as much. Um, but given the fact that she had said the whole way through, the withdrawal agreement can't be changed. We're not trying to remove the Irish backstop. The only difference that could have um, been, you know, the only thing she could have said differently in her speech is perhaps the direction that the future relationship is going. Because for us, that is possibly the way to get over this impact pass um, the red lines that are there in terms of the single market and the customs union create the need for the Irish backstop but obviously if, if they were to change or to adapt or to amend we didn't see any of that in her speech last week she said that she engaged with MPs from across all political parties but what we're seeing now, obviously, we have a number of amendments put forward. You have Yvette Cooper, who's a Labour MP, um, has an amendment which would extend Article 50. She's suggesting till the end of the year whether that would change or, or be the end it of the buys year. T- it buys time. Well, it, it buys time. What you would have then is if that passed, you would have a discussion and a debate on the 5th of February, which then you would have to change legislation and move on. But at the same time, there would have to be a reason for extending it. We have always said that we would not stand in their way if they look to extend it. However, I think it's very clear in a lot of our European colleagues would feel the uncertainty is what is causing a lot of the damage right now and to extend that uncertainty without knowing the direction we're going um, would be very difficult. So obviously we would have to see what would come as part of that amendment. You have Dominic Grieve has something similar but where he is now asking that the House of Commons would have six days where no other business other than Brexit would be discussed in a series of again amendments and proposals. Again this brings it on further, it delays things and we still have no clarity. You then have uh, I think um, Jeremy Corbyn are on behalf of the Labour Party has put down an amendment in terms of the Customs Union and then you have other ones which obviously we wouldn't agree with where you have uh, a sunset clause on the backstop. So all of this is still ongoing and I mean the suggestion now by anybody that we should suddenly buckle, that we should suddenly say okay well the backstop, the Irish position. Your your Taoiseach said last week. Well I, I think so given the fact that you know, all we're trying to do is protect people of this country. We're trying to protect our economy and we're trying to protect our peace process. And what we have is a commitment by the UK to do all of that. Um, and so to say now at this stage, when they haven't yet themselves decided what it is that they want to do, that we should back off and that we should actually in some way compromise, I think is absolutely ludicrous. They have given commitments several times, not just in person, in their speeches, but also in writing. And to say that they would walk away from that and that we would allow them to walk away from those commitments is not something that we're going to do. In saying that, we're, we're obviously we're planning and we're doing everything that we can to try and mitigate the, the, there's, the consequences. There's a, a, a protest tomorrow in Dundalk on, on the actual site of the old border crossing uh, just outside the, the, the town on the old Newry Road. People living in the border areas, and we spoke to uh, the communities against Brexit yesterday, we, we've spoken to, to companies, farmers who are crossing the border four and five and six times a day. They're very worried that we are going to see a return to a hard border. Can you assure them in any way 
that this isn't going to happen or do we now have to have that conversation? No, we're not having that conversation. And, you know, the the, the tone, I think, has changed slightly this week, is, which is, is, is regretful. Head, is that head in the sand stuff that you, you can't have that conversation? It's not. And it's, it's, it's based on a number of things. Firstly, there is not one person, whether it's you, whether it's the political parties that we have worked with and who have supported us absolutely north and south of the border or whether it's the communities that you've just mentioned, not one person has said that we should even consider um, looking at, planning for or allowing the idea that a, re- a border might return um, based on that but also based on the fact that the European Union um, and I understand obviously there was a, a suggestion this week that the European Union were saying we would have to put it up that was since clarified by the Commission that they and all member states will work with us to avoid that at all costs but also on the basis that the UK not just have given a commitment but that they have an obligation they are co-guarantors of the Good Friday Agreement an integral part of the Good Friday Agreement and actually something which allows allowed it to become what it is today is the fact that there is no border between North and South. So we expect them to live up to their commitments and we expect them to live up but to those agreements you, that they have given. When you say, Minister, that you're not planning for a hard border, I mean, we've seen this week talk of 600 Gardaí being deployed. We've seen talk of 400 extra workers in the revenue commissioners. The central bank is warning this morning about all sorts of damages to the economy. Somebody in the background is planning somewhere. No, so I mean the 400 uh, revenue officials and customs are for the ports and airports. They're not um, for the north-south uh, or in any way. Um, we had said that we would need slightly above that, but I think there's about uh, 2,000 people applied for those posts and we think that realistically by March 29th we would be able to have 400 of those in place. They wouldn't just be uh, revenue and customs officials. We would need uh, veterinary officers. We would need clerical officers in terms of SPS and agricultural checks as well. So that is what they are for and, and we've been very clear from the outset there was funding allocated from the budget last year for those in terms of the 600 officers the commissioner himself yesterday issued a statement saying that there is redeployment happening throughout the country throughout all of the regions uh, we've obviously last weekend you know I said this before I think people thought they were waking up 20 years ago when they opened the paper last Sunday to see a car bomb had exploded we've had a number of uh, threats whether they be hoax or otherwise it's after that Monday, yes. and I think really part of that is to make sure that that there is that presence in the north but he was very clear that this has nothing to do with the border these are not being deployed as part of any border preparation um, and I suppose if, if the commissioner has issued a statement saying that um, that is the case and, and I would absolutely well, then, uh, urge people to, to, to is, believe is, that Is it futile not to plan just in case this does happen I mean, we are literally 65 days away well, if you start planning for something when you have been given a commitment from all sides that it won't happen, are you not then saying, well, what is but the life, point? Life would teach us it doesn't always work out like well, that. Well, I would say we, what... We cannot at this moment in time, can we trust Britain? We have a commitment from the Prime Minister. We've spent 18 months working with her, albeit people will say, well, she doesn't have the support of her Parliament. But there is an onus and there is an obligation on them, whether they like it or not to the fact that they are co-guarantors of an international peace treaty. You have people saying now from the UK that they, you know, we'll have a no deal and we'll be fine and we'll go off and we'll conquer the world and we'll have trade deals and we'll engage with other countries. I would ask them, how would other countries trust or believe in a country that cannot uphold uh, an international peace treaty with which they are co-guarantors, that cannot uphold? uphold commitments that they have made to the European Union as a whole and you have to remember the commitment on the backstop is not just a commitment to Ireland it's a commitment to protect yes the peace process the Good Friday Agreement our all-island economy but that is very much connected with the single market and the customs union of which obviously the UK or the EU as a whole um, this is 
realistically, they're probably two of the biggest parts of the, the European Union. And so to say that they would walk away from the commitment to the EU as a whole and the 27 member states, again, I find that hard to believe. What we do know um, is that there is, if anything, a consensus in the UK to avoid a no-deal scenario. Now, by saying we want to avoid a no-deal scenario doesn't make it happen in the same way by saying we don't want a border, it doesn't make it happen. But that's why we spent 18 months negotiating the outcome that we believe can avoid that in all costs. What we think, and as I said to you at the very beginning, is the best way to try and avoid this and to actually get over the idea that, you know, we're going to go into the backstop and it's going to remain there forever and we're never going to remove it, is by looking at the future relationship again, by looking at how we can address a lot of the concerns that many of the the UK MPs have. Um, But the only way that we can do that is by the UK saying what it is that they want. And two and a half years on, we still don't know. We will hopefully have a clearer which idea is, next which Tuesday. Is That's disappointing. It, it, it's extremely it's disappointing. It's worrying for people living on the border. Well, or, I, or the non-border as it is now. The, the invisible border is there. But I mean, all we can say and all we can do is reassure people that everything that we have done as a government has been to protect the people on this island, north and south. It's to ensure that we never return to scenes where we have car bombs on a weekly basis, where we have violence, where we have sectarian acts happening. And to ensure that our economy, which we have spent 10 years rebuilding after the economic crash, is not impacted in the and same we way. Saw, we saw the potential impact this morning, the central bank saying that you know growth it's expected to be 4.5% this year it could drop to 1.5% GDP which is the lowest since 2013 when we were just starting to come out of the recession Absolutely and I mean what we've known from this from, from quite early on from studies that we have done is that the projected growth in Ireland say between now and 2030 um, is significant enough and continuing in the, at the same rate uh, as we have been over the past few years. However, in a deal scenario, we know that that would reduce by about 2.7%, which again is not significant, but is still a reduction in a no deal scenario and worst case scenario over that time. They're talking about a reduction of about 8%, which I mean, which is, is, significant. is absolutely significant. So, I mean, we're not talking about a minor impact here. We're talking about um, an emergency and, and a significant economic shock to our economy and, and obviously Which that's what we're trying to avoid. down the road will lead to job losses etc and that's nothing any of us want to see happening all over again. What would you say to the people who read this morning from the Central Bank that you know potentially families are going to face food shortages, they're going to face food hikes in terms of tariffs etc the cost, the cost has to go because I mean if, if, if a turkey farmer has to get somebody from the customs union into in his plant because that seems to be one of the, the theories being put forward there is going to be a knock-on effect on people's lives, livelihoods and the cost of living is going to be affected. Well, the difficulty here, and this is again going back to the contingency planning and, and we're planning in as much as we can, but you can't plan for what might happen in that we don't know what tariffs might be applied on, say, goods coming from the UK. We just simply don't. If they were to revert back to WTO, then that's obviously that's something completely different. So you can't actually comprehend whether you would have additional tariffs. The UK are saying that they wouldn't, but then you have to look at the fact that um, you have changes that would be needed to our ports and airports you obviously where you have our own produce so while we are an exporting country and or we are an importing country we're obviously an exporting country so to the businesses that are exporting to the UK but also to the rest of the EU what happens at those ports and airports while contingency planning is underway we have additional uh, freight ships and, and hauliers that would allow for additional capacity um, there's often a difference between using the land bridge in the UK and those ships directly to the mainland Europe of 20 hours 
40 hours and even 60 hours so where you just, have goods that are lost, perishable. We've just lost the sailing from, from Ross Laird to France. Well, we, we haven't actually lost the capacity in terms of the numbers are going to be the same. It might be moving from a different from port, but we actually have new ships coming on board. We have the WB Yates, which will allow for 115 extra trucks per crossing, which is obviously significant. Right, but for may, in, in an old deal, may well be needed. Yeah. In terms of the legislation that, that was introduced yesterday, I mean, the, the, there's look at, they're, they're looking at 17 different pieces of legislation in the event of a no-deal border. Is that going to jam up the doll for the next 65 days? So what we have is one bill called an omnibus bill. There's 17 sections, as you've said, with uh, nine different departments. So some ministers have three or four or even five sections and it ranges from everything from education. So Irish students who are studying in the UK who are currently in receipt of the SUSE grant, it would allow them and it would amend the legislation so that they could still receive that. It talks about um, our trains and our buses being able to do uh, cross-border visits. Um, It talks about... both social protection and so many aspects of the take, common travel area. It will, but what we hope the the heads of the bill were announced yesterday that uh, people within the Attorney General's department will draft that up. It will be introduced to the Dáil on the 22nd. It will be going through the stages, so through committee and what we've asked and we've met with opposition party leaders twice now in the last week is that they would support and allow the facilitation of this to be debated and discussed as part as of as one committee. It would then come back into the House and then obviously go through the Shannon. So we don't expect that there would be any challenge with that and, and obviously we have the support of the opposition parties. Finally, Minister, your message to those people living on the border and who are now daily worrying about the impact of a no-deal Brexit? The message that I would give them is we have spent 18 months, uh, if not longer, two and a half years working to ensure that their rights are protected and that we never return to a border. That position hasn't changed. We're not planning to reintroduce a border. What we need now from the UK is a commitment from them as to the direction that they want to go so we can move forward and start planning to ensure that they leave in an orderly fashion. Minister Helen McEntee, Minister of State for European Affairs, thank you for your time this morning. We'll be back after this. Michael Michael Reed Reed on LMFM. And this is the Michael Reed Show, and thank you again for listening this morning. Now, it's that time of the week when we feature our Oroctus report with our parliamentary correspondent, Ken Murray, which will take a look back at the contributions of local politicians in the Houses of the Oroctus this week. Hello again, and welcome to this week's edition of the Loud Me, the Oroctus Report. We begin a roundup this week with a contribution made in the Senate on Wednesday. Social Protection Minister and Fine Gael TD for Me the East, Regina Doherty, told the House that she has set up a committee to explore allowing people spend longer periods on community employment schemes and to look at better ways of assigning people to appropriate areas relative to their competence and skills. That's why the approach of having the interdepartmental group to having us all sitting around the table, recognising as we do as politicians the real inherent value in community employment, both from a socially inclusive perspective but also from an activation and training perspective, to sit around and have a conversation, a real honest conversation about how they should be split and whose responsibilities and at what pace the rules and the governance of both strands um, should be set at. Um, I genuinely consider the socially inclusive positions in our CE schemes as vital and as fundamental, not only to the common good in the state, but more importantly to those people who've had the opportunity to work on them, um, but equally as detrimental to people who've been forced out of them because of the existing rules. And I want that to stop. The lack of HSE staff to deal with mental health issues in County Meath was raised in the Dáil on Wednesday. Independent TD Pather Tobin told the House that HSE spend in the Loud Meath area is the second lowest per capita in the country. Before Christmas, we witnessed a tragic situation where seven men died by suicide within 10 days 
in the county and left communities such as Kildalki, Atboy, Trim, Kells and Dulik in shock and in grief for that period of time. I found out just recently that there are 32 staff vacancies in the Loudmead Mental Health Services before Christmas. The Chief Officer of the Loudmead Health Organisation has confirmed to me that these 32 vacancies are in a range of different grades regarding psychiatric nurses. The HSE confirmed to me in September that mental health spend in Loudmead was the second lowest per capita in the state at €121.67 per capita. And as, as a county, me, they're again at the bottom of this resource list. We need to make sure that there is, some, there is radical investment and resources and energy put in by the government to start to tackle this problem in counties like Meath. Meath is also bottom of the list when it comes to government funding across a range of public services. That was the view of Fianna Fáilte D for Meath West, Shane Castles, speaking in the Dáil on Wednesday during a debate on the Residential Tenancies Bill. The county of Meath comes bottom on um, per capita funding to local authorities. It comes bottom when it comes to central government funding. Yet this is a county with 200,000 people, and yet we're coming bottom in all of the various strands The cost of repatriating a corpse from a foreign country to Ireland was highlighted in the Senate on Thursday. Fine Gael Senator Ray Butler said an airline charge of up to €40,000 to transport a coffin is a complete rip-off. I would like to also say about airlines and the ridiculous and rip-off prices, anything from £20,000 to €40,000 to get a body brought back to this country is an absolute disgrace. And I think that we should look into this and, and see if we can legislate to bring sense into what the airlines are charging in desperate and the hour of need uh, people's vulnerability and to be ripping them off. The airlines are actually ripping off people because let's call the truth here, the coffins are put into storage, into where you store your luggage, but 20 to 40,000 euros. The issue of charges being imposed on people with medical cards was highlighted in the Dáil on Wednesday. Sinn Féin TD, Imelda Munster, described the situation as being disgraceful. I want to raise the issue of residents in private nursing homes who have full medical cards and are being made to pay for medicines that are free of charge to their fellow citizens who live ordinarily in the community. Residents that are not being provided with basics like wound management products free of charge. Residents that are forced to pay for physiotherapy, occupational therapy, speech and language therapy. And when their family members raise concerns and objections to the charges, they're told quite bluntly that there are other service providers if you do not like our rules. Now, elderly citizens, elderly citizens with full medical cards have a right to the exact same entitlement whether they live at home or they live in a nursing home under the Fairdale scheme. It is this blatant discrimination, blatant discrimination, and can nursing home contracts supersede the law, the rights and entitlements of these residents in private nursing homes? And what are the government going to do to stop this blatant intimidation? It's disgraceful. In response, the Thornishter Simon Coveney said he would look into the matter. In relation to residents in private, private nursing uh, homes with, with medical cards having to pay for products that otherwise they would be able to access for free, I mean, that, is, that seems to me to be 
a contractual and management issue for the nursing homes concerned. I'll follow up on that question afterwards. It's, it's the first I've heard of it. Statements on calls for directly elected mayors were made in the Oireachtas during the week. Finnegale TD Fergus O'Dowd told the Dáil on Wednesday that elected mayors in Drogheda and Dundalk would return local democracy to the two biggest towns in County Louth. Seen as the government has seen the wisdom to nominate towns in our country for future exceptional development, and I'm talking about Drogheda, Dundalk, Sligo, and Athlone in terms of the 2040 National Spatial Strategy Plan, that you need to identify a new source of executive authority in those local government areas which I've mentioned to in my own county. And if you were to add to the list of directly elected mayors, a directly elected mayor in Drogheda and in Dundalk, uh, and obviously uh, I, I can't speak for people in Sligo or in uh, or at Lone, but I know that they would probably agree with me, that that would lend authority to the decisions that you are presently making in relation to the future of the strength and the new focus that local government will have in in those towns. The Dáil was told on Wednesday that 6.9 million euro has been allocated to Meath in leader funding since 2014, but only 966,000 euro has been drawn down. Fianna Fáil TD for Meath East, Thomas Byrne, told Rural Affairs Minister Michael Ring that the situation is totally unacceptable. You said in a previous reply that 80% of the budget would be dealt with this year nationally, but in County Mead by May 2019, you're saying it's 50%, so we're significantly behind. You said that approximately €966,000 has been drawn down, 6.9 million allocated. This is very, very weak. And, Minister, what I would say is that a county like Mead, uh, with very few of the official urban areas and almost the entire of the county qualifying uh, under under, uh, rural development, uh, we badly need this money. And we cannot uh, stand by while there are huge delays uh, with this funding because our communities need this funding. Our our expanding communities in what I suppose effectively were former villages and and rural areas badly need the the types of projects that that leader funds. And I think it is is shocking to see the amount of money that has been spent by leader in County Meath. The Dáil was reminded again on Tuesday that certain people who want to build houses in rural areas are being denied the opportunity. Louth Independent TD Peter Fitzpatrick called on the government to review its policy. Local needs, let's go and call it. Local needs has been in, has been in since 2005. Uh, the EU has taken uh, Ireland to court over, over the way they're, they're, they're conducting their, their situation. I believe in, in, 20, in 2016 uh, the Irish government informed, informed the EU that they're going to review the situation in local needs. Let's go and call it. There's an awful lot of people in this country that want to live in rural Ireland, want to live in the country. And because of these local needs, they've been deprived. And finally, the Dáil discussed a bill during the week which, if passed, would ban the sale of Israeli goods manufactured in occupied Palestinian territories. The bill did not have the backing of the government, but Louth TD Jerry Adams criticised Israel for its treatment of Palestinians when he spoke in the Dáil on Wednesday. The state of Israel is a first world nuclear armed and economic power oppressing a largely powerless, impoverished Palestinian people. And despite the fine work being done by many Israeli citizens and the NGOs, despite support in Israel for a peace process, the Israeli state snubs diplomacy, rejects international criticism, has no interest in peaceful alternatives, and does not see armed force as a measure of last resort. On the contrary, it sees brutal military force as its first measure of first resort.
And that contribution by Sinn Féin TD Jerry Adams concludes our Loud Me the Rockness summary for this week. So until next time, this is Ken Murray for the House of the Rockness Weekly Report. And our thanks there to parliamentary correspondent Ken Murray. As you heard from Ken, we will have more from the Oireachtas around the same time next week. We'll be back after this. Michael Reed on LMFM. And you're welcome back. The organisers of a meeting promoting the ordination of women in the Catholic Church, which was to have been addressed by the Minister for Culture, Heritage and the Gaeltacht, Josepha Madigan, have been told by the Mercy Nuns that they have withdrawn their offer of the venue in Dublin's city centre. We Are Church Ireland are represented now by Colm uh, Holmes, who's spokesperson for the organisation. Good morning to you, Colm. Morning, Cahill. Thank you for having me on the show. You're more than welcome. Give us an idea, first of all, Colm, what We Are Church is and who you represent. We Are Church is a reform organisation in the Catholic Church. Uh, we've been around for over, well, I think it's 22 years now. Um, we're all of us committed Catholics, but we're looking for reforms. We have five main goals. We're looking for decision-making by all, in other words, the laity involved, full participation of women in all ministries, the primacy of conscience, optional celibacy, so that priests can be married, and finally, an inclusive church welcoming for all, particularly LGBT people. Now, for the last two years, you have been holding monthly meetings, and these have been facilitated by the Mercy International Centre. Correct. And that, that's located where in Dublin? It's on Baggett Street. They mm-hmm. have a, it's, a, it's a beautiful old building uh, where Catherine Macaulay uh, set up the uh, Mercy Sisters uh, I, many years ago. Um, and they, we've been using the rooms there and had a numerous meetings in there with, with the likes of Noreen Rian speaking there, Father Gabriel Daly has spoken there. Most recently, just, just uh, earlier this month, um, Mary Collins, the abuse survivor, she gave a very interesting talk there for our members uh, about the upcoming abuse summit that's coming up in, in Rome in February. So this is very much the epicentre of the Mercy Congregation in Ireland. Uh, it's, 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 more, it's, it's more a meeting house at this stage because mm. they, it's also a listed building uh, because of the fact uh, of its history. Um, they, 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 use a, they have a lot of different meetings and use a lot of different things there, but they actually operate from a number of other locations around Ireland as well, as the Mercy Sisters are well known. And were the Mercy Sisters aware on a monthly basis of who you would have speaking and who would be addressing your meetings? We, we would regularly update them as to who was coming along, and it's, it's, it's up on our website. I mean, the, the talk by uh, Minister Josepha Madigan was advertised on our Facebook page on our website from the beginning of December. Um, and yet this, uh, the, 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 the uh, email storm against her only started on the 15th of January this year. And this is the first instance you've had any issue with, with hosting an event there? Absolutely, yes. And I'd like to also just stress that the, the emails and the phone calls all went to Mercy International Centre. Uh, at We Are Church, we did not receive any emails, any phone calls, any complaints whatsoever. And we're the organisers of, of the meeting. We were the ones who had invited Minister Josepha Madigan to speak to our members. It was all directed at the Mercy Centre. In your opinion, Colm, the reason behind that, please? Um, <clears throat> It, it was orchestrated. Uh, it was orchestrated by a, a, a very right-wing group called the Lumen Fidei Institute, uh, who have a very, very traditional view uh, regarding the Catholic Church. Uh, they are very, very strict on all sorts of things. The best example probably would be regarding Humane Vitae. They don't accept Humane Vitae, which is the ban on artificial contraception. They don't accept Humane Vitae because Humane Vitae does, in fact, allow... Uh, contraception by the rhythm method so it does allow some form of contraception they prefer to go back to an earlier papal announcement called 
Casti Conubi, which basically says no form of uh, contraception is allowed to be practiced and uh, all Catholic families should have as many children as they possibly can have. And the end of this story, of course, is that your meeting is going to go ahead and Joseph, Minister Josepha Madigan will address. Where will the meeting now take place? It'll be taking place in the South County Dublin Hotel, uh, the Talbot Slogan Hotel, uh, on the same date, at the same time. Uh, that's what's been arranged. We've moved it out there. Well, Colm Holmes, spokesperson for Weir Church Ireland, we thank you for your time this morning. Now we're going to switch attentions back to County Loud because Operation Enable Loud was formally launched in April of last year with Senior Gardaí warning motorists that the rules in regard, to dis- in regard even to disabled parking bays will be enforced more rigidly throughout the county. Operation Enable is a multi-agency initiative between Angarda Siakana, Louth County Council, the Disabled Drivers Association of Ireland and the Irish Wheelchair Association. It was first launched in Dublin in March 2017 and as we said was launched in Louth last year. You will have heard yesterday on the news significant figures, uh, improvement in the figures. Last year in County Loud, 398 fines were issued, 201 in Dundalk, 161 in Drogheda and 36 in RD. That compares to just 45 in the division in 2017 and 42 fixed charge penalty notes that were issued in the Mead division last year. So joining me now to discuss this is Councillor Maeve Yor, independent councillor on Louth County Council. Welcome news, Councillor Yor. How are you doing, Cahill? Happy New Year to you Thanks and all. To you. Thank you very much. That is, this is good news. It, it's good news in one sense, Cahill, but it's, it's you know, it's not acceptable in another sense that 398 motorists in Loud think they can park in a disabled parking bay. You know, <laughs> it shouldn't be tolerated. It should be a zero tolerance. And, and in fairness to the Gardaí, they have worked with a zero tolerance approach in relation to this. And, um, I'd, I'd rather 39 motors in loud. I'd rather zero motors in loud, but I'd rather 39 rather than 398. So we're going to keep working at it and we're going to keep resolving it. It's a county-wide issue, as you said. John Morgan, um, a friend of mine, and um, myself and himself have been working on accessibility issues since I was elected four and a half years ago um, in loud. And John Morgan and myself and um, the chief, Christy Mangan, and his team, Jerry Corley and their team, um, have met and you know, launched this and this is only a year in and we've 398 people. So it is, it's a nationwide issue, Carl, as I keep saying to people. It's a nationwide issue. Like I was meeting somebody um, in a shopping centre yesterday that the coffee shop was, um, out, uh, you know, facing out into the car park and like not only were they parking in disabled parking bays with no permits, and um, they're also parking in child and parent and child, child bays. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, and there were certainly no parents or children, I'll tell you, getting out of hopping out of them cars running into Duns, you know what I mean? So the, the, the first the first part of call here, councillor, has to be ordinary human decency, doesn't it? Exactly. And respect for people with disabilities and respect for people with limited mobility. And the thing is, like we did the back and five campaign with the Irish Wheelchair Association there during the summer and we put um wheelchairs, Robbie in, in RD put wheelchairs um, in, in normal parking bays and put a wee sign at the back of the back in five minutes. Cause I've, 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 seen, I've seen those photographs across social media. They are very yeah. powerful. They are very powerful. Yeah, and I mean, we need action and we need the supermarkets to step up. I wrote to all the major retailers, Tesco, Duns, Aldi, Lidl, asking them to take ownership and monitor their car parks. Tesco were the only ones where they replied to me, but they didn't take action on it. Um, and nobody, you know, nobody else replied? No other retailers replied. It's not acceptable. They have to step up. You know, um, it shouldn't be about profits. It should be about people. What you know? sort of excuses have you come across, Maeve? 
Oh, I'm just running to, to the bank link machine, or uh, I was only two minutes there, or oh, I couldn't find a parking space, or oh, and then uh, you know, more times than enough, that's the polite answer. More times than enough, you're cursed at and told to mind your effing business. Do you know what I mean? And would you would you um, worry that in some instances where where people who are disabled and who have full entitlement to park in those spots, if they do come across somebody who's there illegally, that perhaps th- th- this can become a threatening situation? Absolutely. I mean, I can walk and talk. Thank God. And I mean, I've approached um, people in, in car parks all over the county, all over the country, in fact. But I've approached people, and not in a, an aggressive manner. And I've said to them, sorry, do you realise you're parking in a disabled parking bay? You've no... Because some, some disabilities are invisible, so they yes, always have yeah. to check. And, and you know, you, you don't seem to have a parking permit. And immediately their, their temper is lit and they're aggressive. And they're, you know, it's not acceptable, because We have to keep at this. We have to make more people aware. But people have to step up and say, God, I shouldn't do that. And that also goes for the blue badge holders that use their blue badges when the person that's uh, with disability is not isn't, in the car with them. them. Absolutely. And, and, and you have you come know. across that, have you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, not, not, to the, not at all to the same extent as 398 mm-hmm. in Louds and Dr. Had in RD. But certainly, you know, there was an abuse of that too. Any you know. indications as yet as to what this figures are, this year's figures, I know we're only into the end of January, but what they're shaping up like, has there been a, any improvement, do you think? No, well, actually, uh, myself and John are just meeting um, Chief Super Christy Mangan today to get an update on it, actually, after dinner. So mm. I'd have more information then. But look, at, I want the figures to go down, Cahill. I don't want them to go up. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> what? Um, I, I want people to stop doing it. That's the bottom line, you know. And what's your final message then to people this morning? What are you saying to motorists and what are you saying to, to the disabled people who are quite entitled to those spaces? Yeah, I'm saying that even if other motorists see people abusing the disabled parking space, able-bodied motorists, if them, please stop doing that. You know, and cop on and, you know, put yourself in somebody else's shoes for five minutes that has a disability, that needs that parking space. You know, step up and, and get on with it, you know. Independent Councillor Maeve Yor, thank you for your time this morning. Thank My you, thanks. Carl. It's been a great week here on LMFM Michael Reed Show. Michael Reed will be back on Monday, so my big thanks to Marie, to Maggie, to Chris, to all our contributors and to you, our listeners. Paul McKenna is next after the local news headlines. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from nine on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie 